podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On today's episode of the 1012 Podcast, the latest news about Colorado joining the Big 12 soon. Kelly Ford, K4 Reddings, joins us to talk about his latest projections for the Big 12 season. The nightmare scenario is in play. And who's got the most difficult schedule? Whose schedule is the easiest in the Big 12 this year? Very good discussion. And then Aubin Fippen joins us to talk Oklahoma State softball and make our predictions for the eight for OKC. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. We are the flagship show of the 1012 Network and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for all things sports and not sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us this week. Fantastic episode. Kelly Ford, a.k.a. K Ford Ratings on the show to do some Big 12 football preview talk. We've got Aubin Fippen of Cowgirl Corner Podcast. Talk about Oklahoma State softball, their postseason turnaround, eight for OKC, Super Regional start tonight, today, Thursday, Oklahoma State, Stillwater Super Regional gets underway. And then, of course, Texas and Oklahoma in their Super Regionals will begin on Friday. Very excited for all of that. Baseball going hot and heavy at the moment. Big 12 tournament. Day one in the books. Day two, very excited to see that continue. Will a Big 12 team actually get to host a regional? Does any of them want to host a regional? West Virginia was going to do it, and then they got swept by Texas, and now it's Texas and Oklahoma State, and Texas and Oklahoma State lose in the first round day one of the Big 12 baseball tournament, but they can still work their way back through. Who knows? Who who has any idea? Not I. It's a weird year for the baseball in the Big 12, when you have three teams tie to win the regular season, it's a wacky year. But I'm okay with that. It's fun. It's awesome. It's great. It's been a great year. We're, we're, we're getting into the time in the calendar where it's time to focus on football. And we're going to do that. I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to kind of cut back. We'll be a little bit inconsistent through June and a little bit through July. I am going to work on some things. I'm going to have a couple of episodes kind of in the tank to put out. I'm going to cut back a little bit. I want to do some planning and some research to make sure that when we come back full on one episode a week and then two episodes a week, we're ready to do it right. We will do our position group rankings this offseason. I enjoy doing those. I haven't exactly figured out how I want to do those this year. I know we will talk about offensive line and defensive line as we do. I love talking about those. We will have guests on to help us rank those, break those down. But I I like to change things every offseason just to, to see if there are ways that we can do it better. Uh, We've got a few interviews already in the can that I'm excited about, so plenty to come this summer. Uh, It will be a bit inconsistent, just letting you know. One thing that has been consistent, obviously, is the nonstop news or lack there of actual news about realignment in regards to the Big 12, the Pac-12, and we're not going to touch the ACC and everything that's going on on the East Coast and that conference trying to implode. But at least for the Pac-12, who still doesn't have a media rights deal locked in, And according to Andrew Marchand and everybody else out there, it doesn't sound like they're all that close to one. Nor do we have any indication of where that deal is going to be signed. They're going to get a media deal. It's going to get done. They will have one. 
what it looks like, who knows? Where the games are shown, we don't know. In the meantime, we're getting closer and closer to the end of June, which to me is kind of the deadline for if there are Pac-12 schools that are going to leave the Pac-12 or the Pac-10 and join the Big 12, that's when the news will probably drop, is between now and the end of June. I think once we get into July, it's kind of like, all right, well, we're seeing this through. We're staying here. We're not leaving the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever it's going to be, however many teams are going to be in that conference, they're staying put. If teams are going to join the Big 12, the two that have been most constantly mentioned as most likely to leave to join the Big 12 are, of course, Arizona and former Big 12, Big 8 member Colorado. So it's worth talking about today as the smoke around Colorado continues to filter out. I've I've had people mention, Colorado's joining the Big 12? I'm like, I don't know. People keep talking about it. Well, Barry Trammell of the Oklahoman put out his Trammell's Scissor Tales article on Wednesday. Headline, is Colorado close to leaving Pac-12 for Big 12? Signs say yes. I'm just kind of going to read through some of this verbatim. Colorado joined the Big 7 Conference in 1948 and stayed through its various iterations for 62 years. Could the Buffaloes be coming back? A Big 12 source told me last week that Colorado is ready to commit to joining the Big 12, quote, soon. I thought it was interesting, but not necessarily a revelation. Lots of talk in this realignment-crazed era of college sports, most of it not written on tablets descending from Mount Sinai. The Colorado comment has a lot more juice after the events this week, of course. West Virginia President Kirk Schultz on Monday issued a variety of spending freezes in the wake of Pac-12's financial crisis. New York Post reported that ESPN and the Pac-12 are having no substantive, substantive talks about extending the league's television contract, which expires in the summer of 2024. Plus, CBS reported a couple of weeks ago that the Big 12 officials were told by ESPN that the Big 12 will be one of three leagues, along with the Southeast, the SEC, and the ACC, that the ESPN would air in terms of a Tier 1 level, all of which casts further gloom on the Pac-12's financial future. Colorado. They make the most sense. They have a relationship with the Big 12. Yes, they left the Big 12 before. But this is an athletic department and a football program that feels like they are trying to turn a leaf and really do things right. Now, how you feel about Deion Sanders and whether or not that's doing it right, they are trying to find success and win. And that relationship is already there. Colorado's not just a former Big 12 member. They're a former Big 8 member. Now, yes, there are only going to soon be four teams of the old Big 8 still in the Big 12, of course, being Oklahoma State, Kansas, Kansas State, and Iowa State. But those are relationships that still exist for Colorado. Does that matter? Does that mean something? Does it make it easier for them to return to the Big 12? It's hard to return to things you left. It is. It's very hard. It's very difficult. But it might be easier for them on their own to leave the Pac-12 and join the Big 12 if things aren't looking great because that relationship already exists. I don't know if they're going to come. But I will say this. I have been an adamant, I will believe it when I see it. I don't think any Pac-12 teams will leave the Pac-12 for the Big 12 before this 
next contract is signed by that conference on the West Coast. But right now, as of today, because I am willing to change my mind, as any of us should be when information is presented to us, I still lean towards the 10 teams expected to be in the Pac-10, Pac-12, after USC and UCLA leave, will stay in that conference when the new contract is signed. I lean that way. But I am willing to admit that I am more on board with the rumors, notions, and smoke that Colorado might be leaving than I ever have been before. Maybe it's just Colorado. Maybe Colorado and Arizona, who's the other team that's been tied to the 12, come together. Or because Colorado leaves, Arizona also decides, okay, someone else has pulled the pulled the ripcord first. We also can now do so and feel more comfortable about it. I don't think you're getting the corner four. I don't think that's realistic. I think it's still more likely that the rest of those eight teams stay together because they want to. And they'll figure out the rest and hope for the best. If you ask me today what I think will happen, I think those 10 teams will still stay together. But I am less confident than that now than I have ever been. So, we continue to have this conversation, we continue to keep an eye on it, and we continue to watch. And I think July 1st, because remember, at the end of June was when we found out about USC and UCLA. I think if a move is going to happen, the clock is ticking. And it's between now and the end of June. So just over a month. So strap in, folks, because this ain't slowing down anytime soon. We've got a few more weeks of it. Buckle up. We could have another 4th of July full of conference realignment fireworks. All right. If you uh, attend the Big 12 baseball tournament, I would love to know how the food was. I have seen less talk about it than there was about the basketball tournament. Not surprising as uh, basketball is just so much more well attended than the baseball one is. I really wish they move it back to Oklahoma City. I understand inside, blah, 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 blah. I wish it was back in Oklahoma City in the ballpark there, Bricktown Ballpark, where it belongs. Love the food stuff. I think they did a better job with some of the schools this time around than they did last time, Oklahoma State. Like we can quibble about the quality of the cheese fries in comparison to what you get at Eskimo Joe's, but at least they went with something that makes more sense with OSU than Elote. Corn. Of all the schools in the Big 12, I mean, come on, corn. OSU. Okay, sure. I want to see this for one of the women's tournaments. I'm just going to put it out there right now. Be it soccer, be it softball. I want to see this level of attention, this level of, hey, let's do some fun things and make it exciting. For one of the women's tournaments, I'm going to be hammering that obnoxiously for a while. Just get ready for it. Another way to get yourself ready is with a brand new hat from Last Stand Hats. Now, they don't have one for every school, but if you're a hat fan like I am, and I am now, I like to wear hats. I'm a hat guy. When I finally get a, a space set up to do video more, you'll see my hat wall. It's going to be incredible. But they've got Texas and Texas Tech and TCU and Oklahoma State. Uh, and some other schools from the state of Texas. Houston, get on board. Get with the program with Last End Hats. Baylor, get with get on board. If you're a Baylor-Houston fan and want to see some unique, vintage, and super cool designed hats for your schools, go hit up Last Stand Hats. If you're not, that's cool. Go shop them anyway. LastStandHats.com. Use the promo code NETWORK12. 
you're going to get 10% off your order. They've got some really cool stuff. They've got some stuff, for, especially if you're a Texas fan. They've got a lot of options for you. But like I said, they've got TCU, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma State. Go shop. They've got a few other things as well. We're talking hats because I'm a hat guy. I want you to have, try them out. LastHandHats.com, promo code NETWORK12, 10% off your first order. Look good this year. What a nice last stand hat. All right. Kelly Ford, K Ford Ratings, our very, very good friend. Cannot wait. This one's awesome. Lots of good stuff to get to. I've been fipping. Let's talk some softball. We've only got two weeks left for the season is officially coming to an end, and we can officially crown Oklahoma and move on to next year and not have, hopefully, the inevitability of Oklahoma forfeiting, but we shall see. Two great interviews. Let's get to them. As we uh, enter into June. It's really time to be full-fledged college football. College softball, postseason, going strong. Super regionals this weekend. Women's College World Series uh, starting next weekend. Obviously, Big 12 baseball tournament. I've got TCU Kansas State on right now. It's going. But we're getting time to talk about football. And and talk about, I'm going to hammer this all summer. A college football season unlike anything we have ever seen or will ever see in the history of this sport again with a one-time-only 14-team Big 12 conference. Get your ticket. You're only going to need uh, the front of the seat. What is it? What's the line? Uh, to get you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. That's the line. That's the line for this Big 12 college football season that we are going to undergo. Nothing like it. And I cannot wait. And so what better way to start really like talking about the year, projecting ahead, than with one of our favorite projectors himself. That is Kelly Ford. You know him as K Ford Ratings on Twitter. Kelly, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, thanks, Philip. I appreciate it. It's always fun coming on. 1012 Network has a very special place in my heart. I love talking Big 12 football with you. Uh, it's such a great time. And you're right. This is going to be a season unlike we've ever seen before in the Big 12 and unlikely to ever see again, because even if we do at some point in the future get back to a 14-member league, the landscape of college athletics, the landscape of college football, talk about the college football playoff, but even beyond that, will never look as it does exactly right now in 2023. So this is going to be a unique season. I love the saying about the edge of your seat. Hadn't heard that one before, but yes, very excited. Got some great teams, top to bottom, deepest league in college football. Once again, this year is the Big 12. So um, twists and turns are going to abound. It was TCU last year. Who's going to do it this year? I cannot wait to find out. Texas and Oklahoma in their final season, they would rather be anywhere other than here. Uh, four new teams coming in, some with some very, very old dust off the, pull it off the shelf and dust it off rivalries that cannot wait for, uh, for the opportunities to face off with teams that have avoided them at all costs. Houston, Texas. Uh, I, final bedlam for who knows how long, you know, I, this is just, this is going to be absolutely incredible. And, um, you know, we talked about this on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago. I did about the nightmare scenario for the Big 12. And I'm curious your thoughts. My, my opinion is there is there is no worse situation for the Big 12 than if Texas and Oklahoma make the Big 12 football title game this year. There's there's absolutely no nothing worse than that. And as silly as that sounds like, as I said, like it's one thing to lose a game to Oklahoma the last time you faced them this year. Because you can schedule a game with them, you can meet them in a bowl game. So it's one thing to lose to Texas. You're gonna, you might have the opportunity to see them again. Some of these teams know. Like 
I don't think you're going to see Oklahoma or Texas scheduling Iowa State in non-conference anytime soon, so they're going to have to hope for some sort of bowl matchup. But like, If Oklahoma and Texas make it to the Big 12 title game the last year before they leave for the SEC, you can't do anything about that. You, you can't get the ball back in your court. They're going to take the ball. They're going to stab it, tear it up, deflate it, burn it to ash, and bury it deep in the ground and salt the earth where they buried it. Like There's nothing you can do. They get the last laugh on their way out. There is no worse situation for the Big 12 than those two teams both making it. Does one of them hurt? If one of them wins it, let's say a Texas over Kansas State or an Oklahoma over a TCU, is that bad? Yes. But both of them making it saying... You had 14, 12 other teams that couldn't do it. We're on our way out to the SEC. We're going to take our ball and we're never giving it back. There's not a worse situation. And sitting here atop your projected Big 12 final standings, and obviously these aren't the final projections. These will continue to update through the summer, and you'll have a final projection in August. But for right now, what feels like something I have seen more and more is Texas is the favorite in the Big 12. I don't think that's any surprise. People who want to uh, go goff at that or say that's ridiculous. You shouldn't expect that from Texas. I get all of those things. I'm on the Texas is the best team in the Big 12 this year bandwagon. Oklahoma at number two. Talk to me about what, first off, explain to everybody how your projections work. Let's start there because I've been rambling for a minute. Uh, Talk to me how your projections work and then we can talk about how those led to Texas and Oklahoma as your two top two teams in the Big 12 this year. For sure. Absolutely, Philip. And I do agree with you just for my own two cents. That is probably the worst case scenario, both Texas, Oklahoma making the championship game, because you're right. That's in the history books and that's not changing. And um, barring some act of God, unforeseen circumstances, those two schools will never be back in the Big 12. And uh, you can't change that fact. So I agree with you there. So how the K-Ford ratings work, um, it's a power rating set and it works differently in the preseason versus in season. So power ratings, we're trying to look forward or trying to project kind of like Vegas does kind of like, you know, Bill Connolly with SP plus lots of other power rating sets out there who would be favored or who would have the best chance to win against whom on a neutral field if the two teams played tomorrow. And as you said, Philip, the numbers right now have been updated a couple times uh, over the course of the summer. Um, They will be updated once more still uh, as we get to mid August and that'll be the finalized preseason ratings. But in the preseason, we're looking at three main inputs. One of them in in the largest input is returning production. So how much production uh, players performance on the field, how much of that are you bringing back from last year's team? And I capture transfers in my returning production calculations. That's transfers in help you transfers out hurt you. The uh, that's become an increasingly difficult calculation um, or time difficult to not right time consuming calculation uh, in recent years with the increased usage of the transfer portal, the one time tree free transfer that we've seen um, in recent years be passed. And now also the 2020 COVID year extra year of eligibility student athletes having an extra year since 2020 didn't count against their four year eligibility limit. So with all of that happening, calculating returning production has become its own kind of project, which is what has held up the ratings getting to a good spot in this case and will continue to be kind of the main barrier towards getting uh, the final preseason ratings in August. The two other main inputs that are uh, assigned less weight, if you will, are the weighted four-year K-Ford ratings. So what has been your program's final year-end K-Ford rating each of the last four years with the most recent year counting um, as the most weight in that calculation? And then recent recruiting. So over the course of the last four cycles, at what level has your program recruited? Again, most recent years weighted more heavily than than going back farther. Some people capture, I think, uh, transfer production 
in recruiting uh, because that is, I mean, the transfer portal is just a, an extension of recruiting now. And we see some programs almost going exclusively to the transfer portal to recruit, almost doing away with high school. I don't think it's, I think it's six one, half dozen of the other, depending on how you count it, as long as you get your weightings right um, within those categories. So those are, that is how I calculate my preseason ratings. And then once we get into the season, the preseason weight gets devalued and phased out as we get going. And it's replaced, of course, with the in-season data, which is what we all care about. And, and, and the best thing about college football when we actually get to play the game. So that's how the ratings work. That's how we've gotten to where we are today. And as you mentioned, Texas and Oklahoma currently sitting atop the projected Big 12 standings um, within the league because of those reasons I just mentioned. They grade out relative to the rest of the Big 12. They grade out favorably in those three main categories. I mean, you look at the projected standings here. You've got Texas with the uh, the most likely to finish with with eight wins, with 7.3 averages. would just be Big 12 uh, victories. Uh, Oklahoma at 6.8. TCU at 5.3, Kansas State at 5.2. So that, that's a that's a significant gap between Oklahoma at two and TCU at three at, at 1.5 wins. I think you have to go all the way down to, let's see, almost UCF down there before, which is, I think, one, two, three, four, five, six, like seven, before you start to see the gap between two and three. And and I, I so I'm, I'm always curious with this. You know, obviously last year weights heavily. And Oklahoma had a down year last year. With some of this, I'm trying to figure out with Oklahoma, because I, there's a couple of teams that I'm, we're not going to go through every team, but there's teams in here where I'm really intrigued by. How do we take in recency? We don't want to have recency bias, but also recency's impact. Because Oklahoma, very different program and team right now than they were for the three years under Lincoln Riley that play into this, Right. And so, for, for sure, yeah. Versus, let's talk about Kansas, who's at the bottom here of the of the projected standings uh, with projected two point three conference wins. A Kansas team who, yes, had some things kind of go their way, were able to win some close games, but got to six wins last year. And so, you know, the hype machine is building to Kansas continuing to build upon that in theory, or at least get close to equaling that. And yet, in this projection, we see them so low. How do we how do we balance out the numbers versus kind of like what we think based off of what we have seen last year. Yep. And you, you hit the nail on the head, Philip. It's Oklahoma and Kansas are the two examples that I was going to point to at opposite ends of the spectrum, Oklahoma having the worst year last year from a power rating standpoint, from a record standpoint um, that they've had in more than a decade, Kansas from a power rating, from a record standpoint, having the best year that they've had in more than a decade. So yes, how do we deal with that? So what the numbers are designed to do is get rid of bias, to be blind to bias, to take out the human element, to take out, well, I think this team's going to do that. I feel this way about this team, about this coach. Numbers don't have feelings. Numbers don't have any sort of agenda. They are the numbers. And yes, humans input them, but they are designed explicitly to remove that type of bias. Um, with Oklahoma and Kansas, what the numbers are projecting, we're taking last year's information and it is being incorporated and it is being valued strongly heavily more so than any of the other years because it is the most recent data that we have however for these two teams in particular these two programs in particular 2022 was an outlier on one way or the other based on what we've seen historically in recent years but also in an extended short-term history here from both of them so what the numbers are suggesting is that both of these teams are going to either 
progress to the mean in the case of Oklahoma or regress to the mean in the case of Kansas. That said, because we are weighting last year's information most heavily of any of the years we're looking at, Oklahoma is projecting, I say only, as the 13th best team coming into this year, where as you look at the last decade, they've only finished worse in the year-end rankings in my power ratings um, than 13th one time, and that was last year. So this is projecting still to maybe not be as strong of an Oklahoma team as we've seen in recent history. When I say that, I mean the last 10 years. And then for Kansas, this is a team that I have power rated coming into this year at 63 Last year, I had them finish the year at 55, which was by far the best that, that they finished in my rating set in, again, 10, 15 years. Other than last year's 55, the best year-end rating ranking for Kansas in the last 10 years was when they finished 91st in 2018. So having Kansas ranked 63 right now, I would suggest, is showing them great respect for what they did last year. And yes, I'm projecting them to be slightly worse than they were last year. But again, that's that regression to the mean that the numbers are trained to expect based on the history of this program. Uh, but this is going to be a very good Kansas team, especially by Kansas standards. Um, probably the biggest issue for Kansas is they play in the Big 12. And when you play in the Big 12, it's as deep as it is. I'm projecting you to be the 63rd best team in the country that's last in the Big 12. That speaks more to how strong and deep the Big 12 is than any knock on Kansas because there are many Power 5 programs, there are some Power 5 programs, who would take 63 in a heartbeat this year. Um, and I think that speaks to the progress that's being made in Lawrence. How do you handle the stats this year, specifically for the Big 12, when you have a conference that's introducing four new teams? I mean, this is a conference that had a round robin. Everybody played everybody every year. For the last, what, 11, 12 years, if I remember correctly. Um, and now you have uneven scheduling again, which you haven't dealt with in a very long time. You have four brand new programs who you are not used to facing. Um, and so you have, whereas everyone had basically a similar schedule, except for like whoever the best team was didn't have to play the best team. And whoever the worst team was didn't get to play the worst team. Now... These schedules are so uneven, and, I, and it's a conversation we're getting to have in the Big 12 that we've never had before of who's gotten an easier schedule versus who. And we'll talk about that in a minute because I do think that helps relate to the Texas and Oklahoma situation and why the nightmare scenario is in play. But how do you take something like that and implement that in? Yeah, the scheduling dynamic is new this year in the Big 12, as you mentioned. I, for one, absolutely loved the round robin. It was one of my favorite things about it. You mm -hmm. had a true champion. I know that was a slogan for a while, and people kind of laughed at it for the 2014 year, but it, but it was true. You played every single team, whether it was home or away, and it was even, it was fair. Now you don't have that because you've got too many teams, and, and most of the country doesn't have that. And so it's not unique in that regard, but it is new for the Big 12. And yes, scheduling dynamics absolutely play a large part in not generating a team's power rating, but projecting a team's success with win-loss records throughout the year. Because if, I mean, it makes sense. It's intuitive. If you're playing worse teams, the same exact team has, if you take the same team and play a hard schedule versus a weak schedule, you're going to have a quote better year when you play the weak schedule. And that didn't mean that you're any better of a team. It means your win-loss record is going to be better because your opposition was weaker. And so when we're looking at that, it doesn't necessarily change the power rating, but it has a strong impact on the projections. So for example, if we look at the projected wins, not just in the Big 12, but overall, 
Oklahoma is actually projecting as the greatest number of regular season wins in my rating set for Big 12 teams at 9.7, even though we just said Texas is projecting as my best team in the Big 12, and I have Texas as a four-point favorite currently in the Red River shootout, Texas is only projecting at 9.5 regular season wins. That's due in large part to Texas playing Alabama in the non-conference, Oklahoma's most difficult non-conference game as I'm looking at it here is probably at home against SMU. Um, so that's a, that's a large difference there in, in non-conference uh, strength of schedule. But if we look at the projected big 12 standings, um, it does not go in rank order of who is projecting to be the best team in the power ratings versus um, how many projected wins are they having in conference play? So for example, I've got Oklahoma state who is the 36th best team in my power ratings above in the projected Big 12 standings above Texas Tech, who's projected 33rd best team, UCF 35th, BYU 31st. So Oklahoma State, because of the way that their schedule, in particular their conference schedule sets up, I am projecting on average more conference wins for Oklahoma State than any Texas Tech, UCF, or Baylor, even though I have all three of those teams rated very slightly ahead of Oklahoma State in the power rating. So the schedule plays a large part into this. Um, and I think we're, it'll be interesting to see this year with the first year of the the uneven scheduling in the Big 12, what that actually uh, equates to at the end of the year. I mean, Josh Pate has mentioned it with Oklahoma State. If you've looked at the schedule, it makes sense. OSU avoids Texas. And OSU is one of only two programs to play all four new programs. And of those incoming schools, they play majority of them in the back half of the season where you would think a program that is used to playing Power 5 schedules from conference play would have an advantage roster-wise over teams who, at that point in the season, do not have the depth of a of a Power 5 team, even if the recruiting is not that big of a variance between what OSU has versus those teams. So, like, the schedule is going to have a big impact this year and is what is going to be so interesting. I think that is, in my part, part of why... We've talked about this. Why Texas is preseason number one and going to be preseason number one. And when the media poll comes out for Big 12 media days, Texas will be preseason number one. It's the offensive lines, the defensive lines, the talent they finally put together. But that they leave the state of Texas twice all year. Once to go to Alabama in non-conference in like week two. And once to go to Iowa State. Now it's in November, but that's it. All the Texas teams had to make sure they got one last shot at Texas. That's awesome. Texas doesn't leave the state. And even... Red River, their, their big rivalry game, neutral side in Texas. So Texas's schedule is great. And as nice as that is, I don't think anybody got gifted an easier schedule than Oklahoma. Like, I, And take the non-conference away. That conference schedule for them is was a gift. The Big 12, and, and, and the, nobody can look. If this happens in Oklahoma and Texas during the Big 12 tunnel game, no one, the only person you blame is the Big 12. And the teams who all wanted to make sure that they got their shots at Texas and Oklahoma, giving them easier schedules. Because like, if they're going to avoid the teams that we think are going to be good in the conference, then they're going to have an easier schedule to play. And, that, and that's, the big, that's the big concern. Yeah. Uh, looking at, at some of these teams, Texas is number one, Oklahoma is number two. Uh, I don't know what the media poll will come out as. It might have OGU number two. Um, I could see Kansas State being there. I think that's a real cause. Um, I'm, I'm always concerned with having repeat champions getting back there. We just don't see that anymore, um, despite all the things that Kansas State does return. But as we look at the Big 12, when the preseason poll comes out every year, you get your number one, usually it's Oklahoma. But we never, whoever's picked number two is not the team that ever gets there. It's always some team pick like four, five, six, seven, eight. And so looking at your projected standings, uh, let's go three down. 
TCU at three. And this is Big 12, not overall, just the Big 12. TCU at three, Kansas State at four, Oklahoma State at five, Texas Tech at six, UCF at seven, Baylor at eight. Um, looking through that, and I'm going to use that as the cutoff because that's typically been the cutoff. We could put in, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm not picking Cincinnati. Um, I have was going to call Iowa State a dark horse, but I've got some legit concerns uh, that we're going to probably hear some news this summer. I'm not going to say more than that. Uh they picked up a uh, JUCO quarterback who's immediately eligible to add a fourth quarterback to the quarterback room. Do with that information what you will. Uh, <laughs> West Virginia, Houston, Canada. So I'm going to call Baylor the cutoff line of the teams I feel have a shot at being a the the non one two who get there. Looking at some of this, what you like? What are your thoughts on that grouping of teams based off for take apart you know the projected wins obviously, but of that group. Where do you kind of have some confidence in the the team that's not picked to get there makes the big rise and gets there? Yep. So I think TCU and I mean TCU and Kansas State ending up three and four on that list is no surprise. I think those are the two best teams out of that grouping of teams that we just talked about. Um, neither one of those teams are without flaws. Um, TCU lost a ton of production from last year. Kansas State uh, in the preseason. Uh, a reason they're being downgraded. They don't recruit nationally at a very high level. I will say they develop. Their players probably at a better rate than most college football programs out there. So that's going to be a bonus that that team's not necessarily receiving in my ratings, but that's something we know about that program. Um, so even where the grading out where they are, you could say you could probably put them a little bit higher because we know they're going to develop the talent that they do bring in because it fits the system um, and, it, and it's a good culture and all of those things that we saw last year on, on their way to winning the big 12 championship game. But I, I'm going to go back to it. Like to me, Baylor's a good team. UCF's a good team. Texas Tech's a good team better quote unquote teams in my power ratings than than Oklahoma state, but I'm going to say Oklahoma state could be, and I'm probably going to make your, you, you cringe there, uh, Philip, but like, I'm going to say they could be that team. And it is as simple as the schedule. We talked about it earlier. Oklahoma state for me has the easiest schedule. And now we're looking at conference and non-conference by my numbers, Oklahoma state has the easiest schedule in the big 12. It, it ranks 64th nationally in terms of difficulty. There are 69 power five teams. That means there are only a handful of power five teams that have an easier schedule than Oklahoma state has. What also gives me some encouragement is I do, I am projecting this offense to be still pretty good. I mean, they're a top 30, 35 unit. The defense currently projecting in the fifties isn't great because as you look at the offenses that Oklahoma state has to face, if we, if we aggregate all the offenses that Oklahoma State is facing and, and kind of combine their strengths, it grades out as the 15th most difficult kind of aggregate offense op- opposition that you're going to face in college football. Only 14 teams play better offenses on average this year than Oklahoma State. So that's not great when the defense is in the mid-50s. But you flip that around, they have the 55th most difficult defense opponent. So they're not playing against super strong defenses on a week-in, week-out basis. If Oklahoma State is able to put up enough points in any given week, they might just be able to win the game on the back of what I'm projecting to be a pretty strong offense playing against defenses that aren't great. So the fact that they miss Texas, as we talked about, the fact that they play all the teams that are projected to be worse than them in the Big 12, they might Oklahoma State might collect wins just not by default. You can't collect wins by default, but – just being the better team or having the advantage of whether it's, I mean, they get Kansas state coming off a bye. That's huge. They get Kansas state at home. Like they could beat Kansas state right now. I have it as a pick them game because of the scheduling dynamics of that game, even though Kansas state is maybe a better team. I think they have the instances of that sprinkled throughout their schedule where you might look at the end of the year and say, wow, 
It's late November. Oklahoma State's still in this thing. And you look at their close at UCF, at Houston versus BYU. I mean, those are three games that they could finish very strong. And if they do find a way to get in there, they're going to have nice momentum going. They're going to be feeling good about themselves. And if they're playing Oklahoma or Texas, the motivation won't be an issue at all in that game. They could be a team that sneaks into that picture, um, largely due to the schedule that they play. Oklahoma State plays Kansas State at home, as you mentioned, off a bye. They get Oklahoma, obviously. They get it at home. They avoid Texas. They avoid Texas Tech. They avoid Baylor. They avoid TCU. TCU. So, yeah. You you, you avoid most of the good teams. I mean, other than Oklahoma, you avoid the teams at the top. Good. Other than Oklahoma and Kansas State. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, Kansas State too. Yep, yep. I mean, all right. All right. Time to start playing (laughs) the OSU as the dark horse card. Uh, First of all, throwing out... 15th most difficult collection of offenses faced in the country. Kelly, you are doing some deep dive stuff for me here, friend. That is some, that is interesting. Okay. I'm going to need that graphic put out of, uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to do some talk off off air. Cause I've got some questions for you. Um, all right. So since you have some schedule grades and have Oklahoma States, it's one of the more favorable. Who do you think, who do you say right now have across the board period, the let's say the, the the three easiest schedules in the Big Twelve, and who has the three most difficult schedules in the Big Twelve? So your three easiest: Oklahoma State's number one, Cincinnati is number two, and Oklahoma is number three. Like you said it, the Big Twelve office, and this is counting non-conference too. And so Oklahoma's not challenging themselves in the non-conference, but the the Big Twelve office, uh, office did not punish Oklahoma at all for their decision to leave here in terms of the conference schedule that they were given. If we're looking at the most difficult schedules, again, this is uh, conference and non-conference. West Virginia actually grades out as the most difficult schedule in the Big 12. It's the 17th most difficult in the entire country. And it's interesting that West Virginia actually misses Texas in conference play. Um, So they miss the best team and they still have the most difficult schedule. Uh, They got to play at Penn State, home to Pitt. Those are two good teams in the non-conference paired with their FCS Duquesne. Second most difficult is Texas. Um, And that's going to happen, of course, because you're going on the road to Alabama. You're getting Oklahoma at a neutral site. Uh, You got to play at TCU. You're playing Kansas State at home. Um, For all the favors that the Big 12 office might have done Oklahoma, they did not give Texas those favors. So Texas is number two. And then the third most difficult schedule for me and my numbers here is um, Iowa State. Uh, another top 25 most difficult schedule nationally here uh, in the non-conference. Of course, they get Iowa um, as their most difficult game, but in the conference, they get Texas. They have to go to Oklahoma. Um, you've got t- uh, TCU at home. You have to go to Kansas state. You've got Baylor on the road, Oklahoma state at home. I mean, uh, you got to go to BYU in week 11. I mean, that's going to be, that's going to be a difficult game given the time of year up, up in Utah. So um, yeah, it's a tough schedule, even though you look at their non-conference and say, it's probably not the most difficult. I mean, that Iowa, Iowa state game is always filled with hate. um, And so it's always going to be tough, but uh, Iowa state rounds out the top three most difficult for me. Okay. Now I just want you to throw random interesting stats at me. Okay. So you pulled the uh, 55th most difficult schedule for the defense for OSU, or 55th easiest schedule for the defense. And then the basically like 15th most difficult schedule for, I guess, I'm, I worded that so wrong. I am bumbling this beautifully. I'm just going to let Kelly talk for the next like five <laughs> minutes. I'm going to be quiet. Uh, I'm, no, I'm just like, I'm very, now I'm like totally hooked on this stat that you're throwing out here of like, 
ranking the offenses you're going to have to play and the defenses you're going to have to play. So now I'm really curious as to talk to me about the Big 12, about the defenses in the Big 12, and kind of how the defenses in the Big 12 to you rank out. Yeah. Um, and so this is something I added and you can find it on the website. Now I put it up there, kfordratings.com in the bottom right kind of section corner of each team's realistic expectations. I used to have, or the first iteration had four different um, scheduled difficulty thresholds. So basically how difficult would it be for the average top 25 team to go six and six versus your schedule to go eight and four, to go 10 and two and to go 12 and oh, what I found though was those numbers didn't vary a whole lot. They do tell a story. It's an interesting story. I'm not sure how much people other than me care about that, um, to be completely honest with you. And the numbers didn't vary a ton. So a different idea that I had was what if I put down there just one schedule difficulty? So basically the way I've calculated that now is how, how many projected wins, how many average wins would the average top 25 team get against your schedule? So that spits out one number for every single schedule in FBS. And I can then ordinarily rank those one to 133. So that's the first number you see. Then I said, okay, let's, let's aggregate, let's average all of your opponents, FBS opponents, I should note, all of your FBS opponents, offensive rankings, and all of your FBS opponents' defensive rankings, and then let's compare yours versus all other 133 teams. I can then ordinarily rank how difficult is it? How, how difficult is the aggregate offense you're facing this year compared to the aggregate offense that any other team is playing this year? And that's how you get that number one to 133. The final number down there is just your conference rank. So how difficult is your schedule? Um, in conference. So I'm looking at West Virginia's right now. They have the 17th most difficult schedule in the country. That is the most difficult of any big 12 team. So you have a one there in West Virginia's conference cell. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how, that's what I decided to do. That's, that's what I'm rolling with for now. So if you look at it, West Virginia plays the second most difficult collection of offenses in the country. And it makes sense. FBS offense. It makes sense. If you go down their schedule and look at it, the worst offense that West Virginia plays by my numbers right now is Cincinnati who is, has the projected 64th best offense in the entire country. That's FBS average. So West Virginia does not play all season, a team that's projected to be below average on the offensive side of the ball, which doesn't bode well for West Virginia, since I'm projecting their defense to be the 76th best unit in the country. That's, that's not great. Um, which is why maybe you see where them, where they are in my projected big 12 standings. And then the best offenses that they play, I mean, you got Penn State in the top 20, you got Texas Tech, TCU top 25, Houston top 20, um, Oklahoma top 10, Baylor in the top 30, Oklahoma State 31, Pitt and BYU both right around 40. That's tough offenses that you're playing week in, week out. On the defensive side, and you met you asked the question, Philip, what about the defenses in the Big 12? I think this is telling. On the defensive side, West Virginia plays the 43rd most difficult collection of defenses. And so as I go down the, the schedule, Kansas, it looks like, plays the 20th most difficult defensive slate in the entire country, which as I'm rolling through all of the uh, realistic expectations, I believe is the best that you're going to see. And that's largely driven, I mean, not largely, but one 12th of their grade here, one 11th of their grade since they play in FCS is... Um, Oh, excuse me. I, I was thinking they played Iowa. They don't. Um, they play Illinois, though, out of the Big Ten West, who's projecting as a top 10 defense. You've got Texas as a top 15 defense. Iowa State as a top 20 defense. Cincinnati, Kansas State, both good defenses in their own right. 
but the average Big 12 defense not going to be as strong as the average Big 12 offense. And that's going to be reflected on everybody's realistic expectation graphics as you roll through them there um, on the website. But a lot of good offenses in the Big 12. That's not to say there aren't good defenses, but if we're looking at which side of the ball is stronger across the board, on average in the Big 12, offenses are going to be better. Of course, you've got your exceptions, most notably Iowa State, who's got a top 20 defense and you know a sub-70 offense um, in my rating set right now. Cincinnati kind of in that same boat. Offense maybe not quite as bad as Iowa State, and the defense maybe not quite as good as Iowa State's, but they're, they're a very similar mold um, to the Cyclones. Kelly, this stuff is awesome. I will be um, deep diving into these each individually. Uh, the schedule ranking, the conference ranking, all this stuff are great. If you guys don't on Twitter and don't follow Kelly. It's not hard. It's K Ford Ratings on Twitter. Uh, if you want to find the website, it's kfordratings.com. You can find everything there. I appreciate there's a website now as opposed to me having to bookmark a hundred of your tweets throughout <laughs> the season, Kelly. It's this is so much more convenient for me. Thank you for taking the time to do that. <laughs> That's well other other people were saying that too. Like Kelly, your content, I, I like it. But it's hard to scroll your Twitter feed and you're posting all these things that I don't care about. I'm trying to find the one I do. So it took a little time for me to get it up and running. I've always had the website, Philip. It just hasn't had these pretty graphics and all that. It's just been, you know, the the black and white text and numbers, which isn't the most visually appealing. So I'm trying to give people what they want while also uh, not overextending my my own personal workload. But college football is awesome. So it's, it's something fun. I enjoy doing it. And yeah, hopefully it's a good ad and, and people enjoy it. So kfordratings.com, go check it out there. Or if you're on Twitter, make sure you are following Kelly at kfordratings. You are welcome to tell him how you feel about things. Just remember, it's not his personal opinion of your team. Uh, he hates all of your teams equally, okay? It's not It's not just you. He also hates your rival. So if that makes you feel better about him, great. Kelly, as always, man, I appreciate all the time you offer. You do incredible work. And uh, we'll get you back on again soon, bud. No, I appreciate it, Philip. This is great. Looking forward to what's going to be an outstanding Big 12 football season. And uh, I'm really excited for you all as we embark on what's going to be something like we've never seen before and we'll never see again, as you said. Hey there, folks. This is Justin Hiles of the Viva La Cats podcast, which is now proudly presented by the Big 12's premier podcasting group, the 1012 Network. My co-host Steve and I cover all the ins and outs of Cincinnati football and basketball, for better or for worse. We release a new episode every single week, sometimes with guests, sometimes it's just the two of us kicking back talking Bearcats. So, if you like raw emotion and heavy recency bias, we are definitely victims of that. It clouds our conscious, and it should cloud yours too. We also have an every once in a while Twitter Spaces post-game review on our page at Pod on Twitter, where we invite all of our friends and enemies to discuss everything that we just witnessed minutes prior. If you like your podcast with a laid-back environment, way too serious about stupid ideas, the deepest of stat pools, or just straight-up white noise, then you've come to your one-stop shop for everything Bearcats. Viva the Cats. Supers get underway on Thursday. Oklahoma State, one of the two, uh, the Stillwater Super Regional, I guess we could call it, one of the two Super Regionals that begin on Thursday with all others, the other six getting away on Friday. So joining us today to talk about the Cowgirls and uh, pick our eight for OKC is Aubin Fippen. Uh, one of the hosts the Cowgirl Corner podcast. Aubin, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, you've been covering OSU softball with the uh, former Cowgirl Chelsea Alexander, as, a, as well as a few uh, Cowgirl softball guests this season. Uh, tell everybody a little bit about your show. Yeah, so um, I do it under the Franchise Podcast Network uh, here in Oklahoma City, and 
yeah, so I am kind of, you know, obviously we're the OU flagship station. And so when I came in there as an intern, I like was kind of bringing some OSU ideas and they're like, oh, maybe you could be your OSU person. And so the podcast just kind of developed. I mean, a lot is that is because Ryan Chapman, he kind of took me under his wing because he does a lot of OU softball stuff. And so he had the idea and I was like, what do you think about a podcast? And they're like, yeah, why not? And so they're like, you're going to need a co-host. I was like, okay, if I need a co-host, you know, alumni would be ideal. You know, maybe I'll just DM Chelsea. She just signed with Oklahoma City Spark. That would be a good connection. And um, by the grace of God, she answered me and said yes for some reason. So <laughs> Chelsea and I have been doing that all spring, and it's, it's been a lot of fun. Um, you can definitely tell the difference from our first episode to our latest episode. Um, but yeah, I love Chelsea. It's been a great time. But yeah, Cowgirl Corner. Um, First time doing it. Obviously, we're working out some kinks, and you know that Philip from episode one. <laughs> but we're here. So that's all that matters. It's it's been a while since episode one, but um, you never forget your first uh, ever. Uh, Hard to all the things that you all have to work through. So I understand. Uh, you guys have been doing a really good job uh, this season covering the Cowgirls, and so we want to talk about OSU a little bit. That was a. Uh, one of the teams that was a popular upset pick when we began regional action last weekend. Uh, I know D1 softball, everyone had Wichita State advancing on Wichita State, not even making the regional final. Uh, Oklahoma State knocking off Nebraska there. The Cowgirls, of course, had entered the postseason, or at least the uh, NCAA tournament, off an 11 or 2 and 11 streak. Abin, what do you think? was been the biggest key for the Cowgirls here. Because, I mean, we, we saw them in the opening round of the Big 12 tournament in a weird game that, that started Thursday and had to wrap up on Friday and then back and forth. And then you have a four-air inning. It was just a very unusual game that the Cowgirls dropped against Kansas. But, I mean, the way the regular season ended, you get you drop a game to Iowa State, lose to Wichita State, a road game in North Texas, swept by Texas, swept by Oklahoma – and, uh, and you look at some of the names of those teams on there, and they're definitely quality teams that they faced. But, I mean, every, it seemed like everything that could go wrong did. You either you had offense that dried up in a lot of the losses, or you had late-inning woes, be it pitching, or the errors were racking up. I, mean, I, I didn't, didn't even stop counting when I was trying to figure out how many errors the Cowgirls had, had accrued during that losing stretch. And then they get to Stillwater, and they don't have a single error. It's the first time in uh, almost a month that they had gone three straight games. It's the first time in a month that they had three straight games that they didn't have an error. Took care of Wichita State fairly easily, 6-0 win. And then your late-inning comeback over Nebraska, it just looked more like the Cowgirls we had seen earlier in the year than the one we'd seen to those last 13 games. What do you attribute to to what basically the turnaround that we saw here in Stillwater last weekend? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I feel like airs have been kind of the biggest thing for them whenever they started kind of hitting that slump and that happened I feel like the Iowa State game was like oh like that was okay but I think it's really Wichita State because if you watched them all year you saw a struggle with midweek games so that was nothing new midweek games were not our friends this year or not their friends and so but I think like you said airs at one point I'm pretty sure it was like they were one in nine if they had two or more airs in the field or something like that and so, yeah, when you have so many errors, and unlike errors that happen, like Kylie Naomi, you don't see her make errors that often. And so it's weird. It's like whenever you – and a pitcher can't 
like we talked to coach G last week and he's like, it's hard for a pitcher to have any type of momentum and feel good in the circle whenever your defense is, you know, having a lot of errors and when your offense can't hit on top of it. But I don't think really they had necessarily a problem with hitting. I think it was just leaving a lot of runners on base in crucial times. And that was kind of um, a slump that they had to come over a little bit. But yeah, I feel like it's pretty much as soon as I got back to Stillwater minus Bedlam. But honestly, Bedlam weekend was kind of a win in my books. I fully expected going into that weekend to possibly be run rolled for two games. So, I mean, the way they played that weekend gave me a little bit of hope for the Big 12 tournament. And then the Kansas game, it just kind of felt like they couldn't catch a break. Like they were playing decently well on the like, offensive side of things. Um, they just you know, or having errors and leaving people on and people, they've had a lot of walk-off home runs. I know Texas was one of them. I'm pretty sure. I know there's been several like last inning, like walk-offs, especially on Maxwell this season. Um, yeah. So just not catching a break, but a biggest thing this weekend that you can tell is kind of their shift in their energy. I feel like they were playing like not to lose for a few weeks. Like they were scared maybe. And this weekend, it was like, we're playing to win. Like, we're the sixth seed. We're in Stillwater. We're back at home. We, I mean, like, we know we're going to come out of a regional. So you could definitely – and you saw at the end with Coach G in that interview, them being goofy with all the, the boas and bullet and everything. You can just tell that, like, they're themselves again, and they don't look as scared as they were. Yeah, the, the, the walk-off. I mean, you looked at the start of that losing streak. You lose in extra innings to Iowa State. You lose in eight, 11 innings to Iowa State. You lose in yeah. eight innings to Wichita State. You lose in to extra innings to Texas. And then you take a 2-0 lead into the bottom of the seventh against Texas in game two of a doubleheader and you get walked off 3-2 there. And then you had an extra innings loss. The, the one loss to Texas Tech was an eight-inning loss. And so yeah. like it, it, it did feel like for a little while, everything that could go wrong did. And it's like they got laid into these innings and they just weren't able to to find the offense. Like the point of, like, it wasn't an issue of getting runners in scoring position with the offense. They were getting them on base. They just couldn't get anybody home. They couldn't do any more than hit a single or just hit something right into the glove of the opponent. And, I mean, that's kind of what it felt like against Nebraska for, for a large part of the game as well on Sunday until the extra innings. And so I... Speaking of that Nebraska game, I'm I'm curious of of the three wins this past weekend, which one was the most impressive to you? Because I'm, I'm I'm curious if we have the same answer. So this could go both ways. I think the obvious answer is beating Wichita State six to zero because everyone wanted to see that. Um, but for me, it was Sunday because against Nebraska, just because they showed we can be down late, but we can also come back late, and that's kind of something they struggled with the past few weeks. So I personally preferred the Nebraska game as much as I wanted to play Wichita State again on Sunday. Um, Nebraska was on fire. Like, they really – I mean, all props to head coach, and obviously we know what she's done for Nebraska's program, but um, I they were on fire, and honestly, I think that was probably my favorite game of the weekend. Probably not the popular answer, but I feel like that was probably the biggest shift for them. No, I, I agree. Look, the, okay. getting the – I, the Wichita State, I guess, uh, shocker off your back was big. And then winning that game 6-0, given how the two games previously had gone, was a bit surprising. And then to not see Wichita State in – because when you think about it this way, Nebraska was almost 
facing OSU on Saturday in the first place, and then Wichita State came back, and then Nebraska gets them the second time. Now, for me, I, I agree. It's the Nebraska game where you give up two runs on back-to-back wild pitches by, by Kilfoyle, which is very unlike her. And that's just not something you don't see two wild pitches like that. And you give up two all runs. year up to that point. Yeah. And so this, this, this weird, again, back to what had happened during the losing streak, this weird, unusual hiccup that hits the Cowgirls. And during that 2-11 and 11 stretch, like they, aren't, they, they, they could never come back from those situations. So to see them come back and hit the ball as well as they did when they had to, to get that, that 5-2 victory over Nebraska. And Nebraska, again, like they, you hadn't been hitting the ball well for like four straight innings. Everything you hit was just line drive to a mitt, pop up to a mitt. Everything was getting caught. You were going like one pitch out, two pitch out, one pitch out. And and the, the pitcher was just having herself like, all right, well, I'm just... Yeah. Going to throw 30 pitches in this whole game at the rate this is going. To see them overcome the issues that they faced against Nebraska and get that win, I agree. That's the bigger win because, uh, yes, they, they we knew they could win games. But seeing them overcome issues and turmoil, which is what they had been not able to overcome, and late, late stage collapses, I mean, all the way up to the Kansas game in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, like to see them overcome a late inning issue mm-hmm. and get the win, I agree. That is the game to me that I think was the most impressive and should give you even more confidence than the Wichita State game. Um, so we look ahead. Either OSU or Oregon will be facing off in the Super Regional. will end their season the same way it began against OSU or Oregon as these two teams' first game this year was against each other way, way back in February, for those who don't recall. Uh, this is an Oregon team who, look, they had come into the postseason on a four-game losing streak. They got swept by Utah, then lost to Stanford in the first ever Pac-12 tournament. But before then, this is an Oregon team that was on a roll. I'm trying to do the math here. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen game winning streak. Had won fifteen of their last sixteen. I mean, this is an Oregon team that was on a roll. They were playing well to the hit right before postseason. And they went into Fayetteville. And just smoked Arkansas. I mean, they get past Notre Dame 5-4 and then a 10-4 win on Saturday and a 14-4 run rule on Sunday. Oregon's offense was clicking. And I watched some of this and I'm still not sure I can figure out if the issue was Arkansas just wasn't playing clean or Oregon was just hot. And it kind of felt like Oregon's bats were just absolutely on fire. And so coming into this weekend, it's it's a whole new weekend. Set aside what happened last week and put it over there. Um, an Oklahoma State team who, yes, we were impressed by what they did last weekend. It's still hard to shake the memory of the 2-11 and 11 streak from our minds. You've got an Oregon team who's coming in and feels really hot with what they did at Arkansas with a three-game sweep through the Fayetteville Regional. What is your feeling on this matchup this weekend that begins uh, tonight, Thursday night at, uh, at 6? Well, that's a good question. I've kind of been trying to decide my feelings all week. Um just because I'm trying to get familiar with this Oregon team, I don't really, I didn't know much about them coming into this week. I mean, I watched, I tried to watch a little bit of them in Fayetteville and not to like poop on Arkansas, but it's kind of hard to trust Arkansas sometimes. So I'm like, when they're down, they're down. And that's not to say that Oregon's bats weren't hot. Obviously they were, they run rolled them. I mean, in regionals at their home field. Um. So yeah. And I know, I noticed that, Oregon is actually better on the road than they are at home. So that is something to 
just be kind of, you know, thinking about, I was like, that's interesting. Cause you know, that's not what you expect from a team. Um, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing for this weekend, but um, yeah, I don't know much about Oregon. I know, I don't think they have a lot of depth and maybe that could be um, the fall of them this weekend, because obviously we know that OC's offense is, their lineup is pretty well stacked. And if you don't have a lot of depth, I mean, there is a three game series. Well, hopefully two game series. We'll see. Actually, no, I hope it's a three game series because I love three games. It makes it more interesting. I can see it being a three game series too, possibly. If Oregon hits the way they did against Arkansas, then yeah. But yeah, I, I don't think they have a lot of depth. So I think that's going to hurt them in the long run compared to OSU, who's kind of built a pretty solid you know, three deep uh, bullpen between Kilfoyle and Maxwell and um, Acock. So, and I know when I played them the first game of the year, it was Kelly Maxwell's, you know, debut for the year and she had 15 Ks. So, I mean, that helps a lot. Um, so maybe throw Kelly first. She'll get that same momentum from game one. <laughs> I, I'm curious about the lineup. Um, it, it has moved around a bit in this game starting on Thursday, it feels like you would come out and start Kelly Maxwell in game one and kind of do what they probably, they've been doing as of late, which seems like Maxwell threw about five, six innings and then Kilfoyle to come in and close the game out. And they will also Kilfoyle to start game two and then an Acock to kind of pick up from there. It, it, it's interesting to see it. It doesn't feel like they've been playing any pitcher the whole way through. They've been because of the talent and the depth that they have, with one, two, three of, of Kelly Maxwell, Lexi Kilfoyle, and, and Kyra Acock, who's been a revelation as a true freshman. I mean, just incredible. Yeah, uh, amazing. Yeah, I mean, man, I think of last year when Morgan Day had to step up and she just absolutely turned into an, uh, a stud as the season went on. And to see the way Acock, I mean, really has been playing so well. Yeah, she's had her freshman moments, but she's a true freshman. To see her kind of play the way she has um, this season, especially as of late, has been Oh, you kind of solidified it for me. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I, I'm real, I'm on the Kyra train for sure. Okay. It it's kind of nice knowing all three of these should be back in Stillwater next year. You should have the same lineup. Not to mention they've got some talent coming in in this current recruiting class for next yeah, this uh, 23 recruiting class uh, in the bullpen. So we'll be interested to see how that works out. Um, Look, I mean, coming into the postseason, I mean, the people I had, a couple of people I talked to were like, no, like Oregon's, I mean, they've, they've been good, but the Pac-12 whole is fine. Granted, you have Washington, Oregon, and Utah all sitting here in super regionals, but the Pac-12 was just kind of eh this year. And then Oregon goes and does what they do to Fayetteville. And so it really is a like, postseason's a whole new season. And, and you can see teams do things that just didn't make sense compared to what they had or you've seen flashes of during the regular season and they just find it and it clicks. And so Oregon playing better on the road, I mean, is a concern in Stillwater, although the Cowgirls do play really, really well at home. Um, And so, I mean, look, there's, it's going to be an interesting series. I I lean towards Oklahoma state here and that's, that's not trying to be biased. And that's with the idea of there's still a two and 11 streak that, just happened not long ago, still fresh on the mind. And Oregon had a very large winning streak. But I mean, I feel like OSU should find a way in three games to get three wins and get out of this and head back to Oklahoma City for the for the fourth straight uh, for the fourth straight year. Um, It will be an interesting one. It is one of eight super regionals we're going to be watching. So 
Aben, since I have you here, it feels like we should pick our eight for OKC before we go. Uh, well, let's just, since we're already talking about it, let's start here. I'm putting you on the on the spot. Does OSU get back to Oklahoma City for a fourth straight season, or are the Ducks victorious in Stillwater? And also, not to try and sound biased, I, I do think. I think that Oklahoma State will come out of there super regional. And people didn't want to believe. I, even though I was hesitant last week whenever I was asked, I wanted to say Wichita State. I would just say, well, it depends on what Oklahoma State team shows up. But after seeing this past weekend, I really think Oklahoma State is going to come. And even if it's a three-game series, I think that they will be in Oklahoma City next week. Okay. Uh, we've seen OSU win three-game Super Regionals before to advance, so that wouldn't be a first. Uh, should we just, just mark us both down for Oklahoma over Clemson right now, right? I don't, I don't know. That might be – yeah, no, just kidding. Definitely think that OU is going to be in Oklahoma City. Second straight season, Clemson will be traveling to an Oklahoma school for Supers, and that will be the end of their year. Uh, I'm going to save one that's really interesting for me. Let's talk about Washington, Louisiana. Uh, Washington, the seventh seed, uh, overcoming a six-run deficit at the top of the seventh inning against McNeese last Sunday in what was both an incredible and honestly just frustrating uh, game to watch the ending of. Uh, they'll be hosting Louisiana, who came out of the LSU regional. Louisiana, of course, coming up through the loser's bracket to knock off LSU and Baton Rouge in advance. Who do you have coming out of Seattle? Mm, this one's so hard for me. I, like you said earlier, I feel like Washington just has the softball gods on their side. And after last week, I'm like, I really want to pick Louisiana. And I really think after last week, it will go into three games just because the way Washington kind of messes around until the end. But I think it's going to go into three games, but I do think Washington is going to pull off and be in Oklahoma City as well. Yeah, I will pick UW. My heart says the Raging Cajuns. Yeah. My head says UW, I won't be mad so at all if they win. I'd be, I'd be I would be quite happy to see Louisiana advance. I'll just, I'll just say... I don't think the Huskies should still be here. Anyways, uh, speaking of Pac-12, Pac-10 schools, or whatever you want to call it, uh, number 15, Utah hosting San Diego State. Of course, San Diego State advancing out of the L.A. regional without even having to face UCLA, who was taken out in two games by Grand Canyon and Liberty in, frankly, the biggest regional softball upset of all time. That's just insane. Okay. UCLA, here's a fun fact. Now, the only team, the only host school uh, to go 0-2 in their regional Twice, all time. So there's there's a fun one for you. Uh, Utah, San Diego State. Aubin, who do you got? I'm gonna have to go with Utah on this one, just because San Diego. I'm sorry, it didn't take you much to get out of your regional. Somehow you got by um, without UCLA. It's so crazy. Could you imagine not? That was crazy watching that game. So yeah, I have to go with Utah. I want to see Utah in the city next week. I th- I think Utah's legit. I think um, them winning the Pac-12 tournament was for real. Um, like I said, they swept Oregon to end the regular season. Uh, I think this is a good Utah team. I think we saw that in Salt Lake City. Yes, close first game against Southern Illinois. Southern Illinois gave every team they faced, despite going 0-2, uh, a lot of frustration. Their elimination game versus Baylor was a 13-9 game. Their game against Utah was 11-9, so I think it was just credit to Southern Illinois. But Utah took care of Ole Miss twice from there pretty easily. Um, I, I think this is a good Utah team. I think they're advancing to, to Oklahoma City as well. All right, uh, let's talk about the, the last game on this side of the bracket, uh, that being Florida State versus Georgia. 
This one should be a lot of fun. This one feels like in Tallahassee with Florida State hosting a three-game series. Aubin, who are you taking? Mm, this is hard after the way Georgia played last week. It, I mean, they played amazing. Their offense was so good. Hit tons of home runs last weekend. I, this is kind of the same situation. Like, my heart wants to say Georgia, but my mind says Cat Sandercock. So, I'm like, I got to go Florida State. I agree. Having Sandercock in the circle, like, uh, I just, the, the further the season goes, the more I feel like we're going to get an OU Florida State final. Like, that that feels where, where this is leading. Because, I like, you put Sandercock in the circle, like, uh, I know, I have no concern about Florida State winning a 1-0 game. Um, Georgia won 12-0, 8-3, and 12-3. Like, they were very, very impressive. Mm-hmm. Can Georgia win a 1-0 game against Florida State? I just, I don't, I don't know about that. I think Florida State's really good. I think there's a good chance that's who we see Oklahoma play in the final. Okay, we'll to the oversight of the bracket. We already talked about Oklahoma and Clemson. Let's talk about the other Big 12 team in Supers, Texas going to Knoxville to face Tennessee. Um, and who you got? This is hard, and I know I'm probably like, oh, you're just taking the Big 12, but... We've seen Texas in postseason. We know it, Mike White, as much as I don't, I'll give him credit. He is good in the postseason. That's just facts. I mean, he's good in the postseason, and I think people are going to be very surprised when they see Texas come to Oklahoma City next week. Um, I will also pick the Orange UT. We're twins today. We're just picking all the same. Yeah, we've got a problem here. I don't trust part, – part of this is I don't trust Tennessee. Like, I know they're the four seed. Exactly. They've been very good this year. Um I didn't think their bracket was that tough. I thought Texas had a much tougher bracket. Obviously, it's a 13 seed, but playing AM and Texas State. And you're right. Like, this was a young team for Texas. Like, y'all, get ready for Texas next year because they will be scary good. Um, like, and they're playing with the chip on their shoulder at being at the 13th seed. So, I mean, the, the community does not like Texas. That's because typically they, they schedule what are like sneakily not great non-conference. Like they put a few games in there to make themselves look good in non-con, but they also schedule a lot of like not good Texas schools at home yeah. in Austin. So that's what tends to uh, hurt them a lot. This is a young team, but like I got no issues with wondering if this team is tested enough to take out Tennessee. I agree. I think it's a three-game series, but I think Texas is back in Oklahoma City for a second straight season. Uh, Alabama five seed hosting... Northwestern in Tuscaloosa. Aubin, who do you like here? Who do I like? I like Northwestern just because I don't like Alabama at five. <laughs> I don't think anybody really agreed with that one. Um, but yeah, I'm going Northwestern, so I'm really hoping they can pull through. I think there's going to be a lot of three-game series this weekend, which I'm super excited for. Besides Norman, I think it's obviously going to be a two-game series. Um, but I'm excited for all three-game series, but I got Northwestern coming to Oklahoma City as well next week. I am curious. We did see Montana Fouts for Bama in the Tuscaloosa Regional, like at the end for a few innings with a leg brace on. I'm curious how healthy she's going to be for this one. We got to quit agreeing, though. Like, I really (laughs) like Northwestern. The Big Ten's not great. And we've seen Northwestern, like, lose a series to Purdue. What are you doing? But, like, I don't like Alabama. I I just, they have no business being a five seed. They just don't. They, They shouldn't be. Uh, I'll take Northwestern. All right, we are our last chance to disagree, uh, which I think is the one that I'm having the hardest time picking. We got eight seed Duke uh, hosting nine seed Stanford and Durham. Who are you taking? 
Yeah, um, this is one of my hard ones too as well. I mean, you got the nine and eight seeds, so pretty evenly matched game right here, honestly. I can see it going either way. Like, I kind of just want to flip a coin and be like, okay, and I pick Duke. So we're just going to go with Duke. Finally, Bobbin. Finally. Yeah, we disagree on one. We can disagree on one here. Uh, candidate for Stanford. As a freshman doing what she's been doing this season is absolutely incredible. I know this game is on the road. I really like the Stanford team. I think they looked really impressive in their regional. Now, look, you made Florida look like something I've never seen Florida look like with Tim Walton in charge there. Um, this is a good Duke team. Yeah. Um, it is. I, this is a young program, but they have risen up quite quickly, very much like Clemson has. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, Big 12 teams that want to add softball and actually invest in it. Um, but I'm going to take Stanford. I think Stanford advances to, to OKC uh, over Duke. So we had to get one that we disagreed on. I'm glad it was the last one. Aben, I appreciate your time today. You have been incredible. Do me a favor. Remind everybody where they can hear you and Chelsea Alexander amongst other OSU softball players on your podcast well thank you for having me finally i'm glad we worked something out um you can find me and chelsea our calgary corner you can find it on spotify or itunes under the franchise podcast network um find me on twitter at aubin fippen and i always have to spell it out because no one knows how the heck to spell that so it's a-u-b-y-n p-h-i-p-p-e-n um so i'll give you all updates on games and all that good stuff Robin, appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to talking to you again. And uh, I will let my bias show through for a minute. Uh, go Pokes. No one can see it, but I'm throwing it up. <laughs> Thanks, Philip. Podcast Network.